From the very beginning, Heartland was a church that was uh, made for people who weren't here yet. We started a church to reach out to people, and we said we're here to love people well, to lead people to a transforming relationship with Jesus, because God knows we can't do that. Uh, we can't change anybody's life, but Jesus can. And so we would love people, earn the right to be heard, lead them to Jesus, and then launch them out to do the very same thing. And in the last uh, several years, uh, Heartland's only about 12 years old, and we have grown from that little living room of people. Um, we've launched out seven other churches. We're in two locations. And the whole point of, of how this works is, is that we just continue to love people well, keep reaching out, keep introducing people to a transforming relationship with Jesus, and the ripple just keeps going out. And so this, this year is the chance for us to do that at Christmas beyond what we've ever done before. We're going to give beyond and go beyond. And we've been uh, talking to you about this great initiative called Let's Be Rich. God has blessed us with so much. Let's give beyond and go beyond and reach out to the hungry. And so all these boxes that you see here, they're not meant to stay in this building. They're meant to be taken, to be filled with food and uh, brought back. And we'll take them right down to Shepherd Community or to Gleaner's, Gleaner's Food pa uh, Pantry. Or we uh, invite you to take them to your school or to your office, to your to your uh, community or the person across the street that needs help and just walk it over there and say, we love you and we were thinking of you. And in this way, we become the hands and feet of Jesus. For too long, Rick Warren said, the church has just been a big mouth and has had amputated hands and feet. And we're going to we're doing something to do that, uh, to, to fix that by loving people well through food, through giving the best and the biggest offering we've ever done into our community, hopefully a quarter of a million dollars at our Christmas services. And uh, then we want to volunteer and serve in all these different ministries. And you can find all that on our website or in the, the, um, the program or the, the letter that I sent to you this week. But here's something you can do right now. On your program, there's a little, uh, about three or four sticky notes. This is where it gets personal. Uh, at Christmas time, it just intensifies uh, our relationships. Wouldn't you say at this time of the year, and there are people that are heavy on your heart, and we want to pray for them. And we will join you in praying for people that you care about that are far from God. Now, this isn't a general sort of a prayer request for like, you know, everybody for everything. I want you to be very specific with me. And write the name on a sticky note of a person that you know has a heart that is hard towards God or they are far from God or they're just blinded to, to knowing that he loves them. And you could write about, you know, your grandmother that, um, you know, needs, needs help for some reason. Fill that out on a communication card, but let's limit this specifically to people who don't know that God loves them and I want to begin praying for them. And what you can do today is write the name of a person, one name per sticky note, and then before you leave, you just stick it on a wall. There's a couple already over here. Just stick a name on the wall, on the sides, on the back wall, and we're going to have these up over the next few weeks. And myself, the elders, staff, many of you can come in during your lunch break, and we're just going to keep praying for people that you love. And in this way, I think uh, we connect our heart to the hearts of God, who really loves every single person. I talked to a woman this morning who had a grandson that, um, that uh, had committed, uh, tried to attempt to commit suicide over the weekend. I said, you write his name on this card. We're going to pray for him. I don't know who's uh, important to you, but they're important to me if they're important to you and they're important to God. So before you leave today, let's write, write these names down and let's pray all through the month of December. 
That's what I'm preparing for. As I prepare this Christmas message, I'm preparing to talk to people whose hearts are far from God. And maybe just maybe together as you pray, as we pray, as we work together to invite people to come, Jesus will transform their lives this Christmas. All right? So we're going to continue to be rich. Today, I have a great privilege of introducing to you someone very dear to me, very dear to my wife, and that is her dad, my father-in-law, David Coston. Um, I'm so glad that he said yes when I asked uh, her for her hand in marriage. Don't you think that was a good thing that he said yes to? <laughs> um, you know, he gave me my first job in the ministry. I guess he felt sorry for me and wanted to make sure that uh, his daughter would eat and all of that. But uh, I preached my first sermon in his church and uh, he mentored me and taught me. Here's a little bit about my father-in-law. He grew up... He was born in Ceylon, which is now called Sri Lanka. It's a little island at the tip of India. Uh, his parents, our grandparents, were missionaries in India and the Philippines for 50 years. And then uh, my, my wife, uh, his daughter, Lurie, they was raised in, in Holland. He was uh, the leader of Teen Challenge for all of Europe and headquartered out of Amsterdam. So you can just imagine um, that ministry there. And then he was the pastor of the International Church of Hong Kong. He did that. Went from there, pastored a great church in Seattle, Washington, and then founded a church in Philadelphia. And uh, just an incredible church that's there. He's been in pastoring for over 40 years and most recently left being a pastor to go back to hit his roots in India. Executive director of an organization called The Cry of India, which is a uh, sponsorship ministry for at-risk children, and he'll tell you more about that when he comes. But he's a great man of God who can talk to every one of you about living by faith and being generous. He's one of the most generous people I've ever met. Taught me a lot about generosity. And I want you to understand that this is a lifestyle for us. This is not something I bring up seasonally because it's Christmas. When you grasp the principles of being an open, generous a uh, free person, it will change your life. And there's nobody better to talk about this than him. So I've invited him to come share part of his story today. Will you give my father-in-law, David Costin, a great hand? Wow, what a special privilege to be home. Nance and I moved here about five years ago, and I know you, you don't see us very often. I'm on the road about 35 Sundays a month, a year. It feels like a month, but a year. But it's great to be home. And it's great to be with my son-in-law, Darren. Yeah. He's a great son-in-law. I'll never forget the day he asked me. We were driving from immigration in San Francisco. Catch this. You know, he's a foreigner. He was a Canadian. So was I, so I won't tell you that. But we're driving from San Francisco, and he looks across at the car, and he says to me, would you mind if I married your daughter? I looked at him and said, yes. <laughs> and then I cried. And I said, you know, of course I, I'm really happy that you want to marry my daughter. Great son-in-law, great pastor. Don't you think so? <clears throat> and we had a great time at Thanksgiving, 19 of us around the table. And you know, Thanksgiving can be a, a wonderful time or a horrible time, depending on your family. Need I go further? Well, one of the little grandkids around the table said this, and I just love what they said. We just thank God that all of our family gets along so well. And how true that is. We are truly, truly blessed. And I don't know about you, but I have a food hangover today. I met a resolution 
that I will try to put into effect in January that I will not eat in 2014. I've made that resolution for the last 67 years and it hasn't worked, but keep on going. But I know that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And today I sort of feel like I'm speaking to the choir when I talk to you about the subject of generosity, because I know your generosity as a church. I know how much you've given. I know how much you participate in the community and everything. And you're to be commended for that. But I still want to refresh our minds on this kind of thing because from time to time, we need to be brought back to the truth of it. I want to speak to you on let's be rich in generosity. My father was a, a person that was very generous and I watched and learned from him and it came into my DNA. And you've been around people that aren't generous. You ever been out to lunch with somebody and the bill comes on the table and you reach for it and they have this sort of withered hand <laughs> that's like it's going to get it but they really aren't that energetic about getting it? You can tell generosity real quickly. It's not, it's not there. The Bible says in Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You see, poverty is a mindset. The problem with poverty is it puts our trust on something else besides God. Poverty is fear. Generosity is faith. And God wants you to become a generous person because he's a generous one. That's right. He established this. He didn't just give you one color. He didn't just give you one smell. He didn't give you just one taste, one animal. He gave you a multiplied trillions of options because God is generous. That's right. And one of the challenges that we face in our culture is the fact that we believe that we need, we need to enjoy God's best, but sometimes with that, there's a subtle trap for selfishness. Mm -hmm. Selfishness is the theme sometimes of these times. Right. People are saying, what's in it for me? Many people now blatantly and unashamedly live for themselves. They're not interested in other people. They don't have the time to help others in need. They focus only on what they want, what they need, what's in it for them, what will benefit them. And the selfish attitude condemns us to living a very shallow, never satisfied life. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, those who love money will never have enough. How true that is. I don't care who you are, the wealthiest man in the world, he's still seeking for more. That's right. If you want to experience the level of God's blessing and favor, then you're going to have to get your mind off of yourself. You must learn to be a giver and not a taker. Yeah. For the scripture says, if you give, you will receive. You know, I believe that's one of the very reasons... God instituted tithing. Tithing was to give the first ten. Why? Because he wanted you to move your trust from what you have in your hand and your fear to a trust of faith that says, God, you will provide for me. That's right. Now, you can pray about the greed that you have in your life. You can fast about the greed that you have in your life. But it will not change the greed in your life. The only way you'll change the greed is by giving. You have to learn to give. You have to counteract that trait. You will never truly be blessed and fulfilled as a human being until you learn the secret of giving your life away. To experience God's blessing, 
You have to be a generous person. I want to turn your attention to 1 Kings chapter 17. There's a wonderful story told in there. I've been meditating on this ever since Pastor Darren asked me if I would speak a few weeks ago. The story of Elijah who pronounces judgment on Israel because of Ahab. Ahab is leading a very idolatrous and wicked life and God says to Elijah, I want you to pronounce that there's going to be a, uh, a drought in the land of Israel. And so Elijah pronounces it and there's going to be a drought for three years, but God says to Elijah, I'll take care of you. I want you to go to the brook Kidron, and I want you to stay there, and there will be water there for you, and the ravens will come and bring you food every morning and every night, and I will take care of you there. Well, Elijah's deep into the middle of this drought, and he has water, and he has food coming from the ravens, but the fascinating thing is the brook dries up. I kind of find myself in that position of going, wait a minute, God. You said you were going to take care of me, go to the brook Kidron, and now your gift dries up? Right. And then God says to him, now, I want you to go to Zarephath that's near Sidon, and I have spoken to a widow there, and she's going to take care of you. Let me pick up the verse in uh, at verse 10 of the first, uh, first Kings chapter 17. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Now, he knew she was a widow by her dress. That was the, the style of that day. And he called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that, I may, so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first, now catch this, but first make me a small loaf of bread from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself, for your son. Now, here's a woman that is caught in deep poverty in difficult situations, extremely crucial. I want you to know that God hurts for those that are poor and those that are in need. In Psalm 69, 33, it says, for God listens to the poor. He doesn't walk out on the wretched. But I choose this story because even in her poverty, she's generous. How many of you understand that poverty is relative? I'm not talking about the relatives you have. I'm talking about it as a term. <laughs> poverty is relative. If, I, if you come to me and ask for something, I reach in my pocket and I give you a dollar, and you know that that's all that I have, right. you will call me generous. Right. But if you come to me and ask for something, you know that I have several million dollars in the bank, and I give you a dollar, you'll look at me and call me a miser. Right. you call me stingy. Because poverty is relative. This woman was truly poor. But because of her generosities, there, there was a series of events that began to take place in her life. First, I want you to see, she heard what was requested because she had an open heart. She didn't close her heart up. So often we close our heart up to things around us. Oh, what an audacious request from a prophet. So you've told me you have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and that's all you have left? Go make for me first a cake. 
Make her eat some bread. The widow's looking at him and she has a choice. She looked at what she had and it was just enough for the day for she and her son and then she would die. So she had either two options. Either she had to do what the prophet had said or she had to eat her meal by herself and die. Many people miss what God wants for their lives because they are too worried about themselves. Their need tunes out the voice of God. She heard what, what was requested. She heard the voice of God because she had an open heart. You see, God speaks to us in so many different ways. He speaks to us through his word. How often when reading the word, all of a sudden, something will jump out at you and God speaks to you. Or he speaks to you when you see a need and you are moved and you respond to that. Or he speaks to you through an impression sometime, just in the gentle, still, small voice of your heart. Or he speaks through a prophet, as Elijah even had expressed in another portion. It's the still small voice, but sometimes maybe it's a Sunday service. Maybe it's a, a service you're listening to on the radio or on the internet. But God speaks to you. No matter how he speaks to you, it's God. That's right. Nevertheless, it's God. And it's so easy to miss the voice of God. Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story. He said, for I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger and didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison. You didn't visit me. And those standing there said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he answered, I will tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Mm -hmm. See, God speaks to us, and we can miss his voice. And when he speaks to us, also he speaks to us at the most unusual times. Right. You know, he comes to this woman and says, she says, as surely as the Lord lives, I don't have any bread. This is an inconvenient time when her resources aren't plentiful. She's ready to fix her last meal. She's in a desperate situation, and the prophet comes and says, this is what I'd like you to do. You ever feel that way sometimes in your life? When the Lord comes to you and impresses you on something and speaks to you, you say, Lord, I don't have that much. I couldn't possibly do that. Now, I know someone who could, Lord, so why don't you speak to them? I'm not talented, God, or I'm, not, I'm insignificant, God. I couldn't possibly do what you've requested. You know the problem with all those sentences? They all start with I. Right. You've got to forget about yourself. When God speaks, he's waiting for you to obey so that he can do something through your life. He spoke to Moses. He said, Moses, you're wanted in Israel, in Egypt and everything, but I want you to go back. And Moses argued with God, but he finally obeyed. He spoke to Gideon. Gideon says, I'm the least of all. How in the world could you use me? And God says, you're a mighty man of valor. And I see Gideon go, who, me? You've got to be kidding me. He speaks to the widow of Zarephath. His divine purpose usually doesn't fit in to your timing. God spoke to all of these at various times, but she had an open heart. An open heart hears. An open heart sees. An open heart feels. And ultimately, an open heart forgets about itself. That's right. And wants to respond to the need. Now, she not only had an open heart, but she had a generous spirit because she responded to the request. You see, generosity responds. 
In her desperate situation, she was willing to do what was requested. I love 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 9, when the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Think with me. I'd like to be Elijah and say, You instructed this lady to feed me? You've got to be kidding me. She doesn't know anything about it. I said, go make me some uh, a drink and give me uh, some, uh, some bread. And she said, I don't have any. And you've instructed her, Lord? And I can see her going, you know what? I don't know what to do about this. But God says, I've, instru I've instructed her. Because she could have missed this opportunity. She responded, though, because she had a generous spirit. She evidently was always generous in her life, and now God trusted her with this situation. He knew that when given the chance, she would respond and say, I'll do whatever you need. You know, you and I have a tendency in our world today to analyze every request to death. <laughs> Nancy and I were down at City Center Mall a couple of years ago, and we were walking out to go into the garage. We'd just been walking through the mall. And a man came rushing up to me out of the garage and he said, Sir, could you help me? I need some money. I've run out of gas and I'm going down south. My mother's very ill and so forth. And I know what your mind is saying right now. Your mind is saying, this guy's conning you. And I reached in my pocket and I had $40 and I gave him $40. And he said, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And he left. And you're going, you are a sucker. But you know what? I turned to Nancy and I said, that's the best entertainment and blessing I've ever had in my life. I said, I am so filled with joy in doing this. You see, we analyze everything to death. What are you going to do with the money I give him? Who cares? You know what? God puts those things in front of you as a test. To test your generosity, not for, you, for him to test your mental abilities to figure out what he's going to do. I remember I was walking down the street of Philadelphia one day, and a, I, a guy was sitting beside a building. He reached up and said, sir, can you give me some money? I need some food. And I reached in my pocket, and I had a $20 bill. And I handed him a $20 bill, and as I handed it to him, I said, sir, I want you to know something. This $20 is from God. I said, I don't care what you do with this. This is God's money, and you will be accountable to God. He looked at me and said, keep your money. I don't want it. <laughs> you see, I'm not responsible after I release it. It's the releasing of it that God wants. That's the generosity he desires. Proverbs 3.27 says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. Sometimes you just have to do it. Because a generous spirit responds. Your generosity also has some phenomenal implications to it. I've learned that God wants to weave you into his life story. Catch that, his life story. You don't know the thread that he's using your life to weave in to the stories of other people. Nancy and I had pastored in Philadelphia for 16 years, had a great church, about 2,500 people, everything was going well. I was 62 years of age, and God says, now I want you to go to India. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. 
So I put some things before the Lord to confirm it, and he confirmed it. That's what he wanted to do, and he opened the door, and we started that journey to India. And as we started that journey to India, he said, I want you to go to the poor and to the needy and to assist and strengthen the church. Nancy said to me, what are we going to do? I said, I really don't know. Now, I gave that great answer of confidence that she needed. I said, I really don't know. She asked me about 50 times. I said, I really don't know. We're just going to do what God says, and he'll unfold this. Well, that journey over the last five years has been absolutely incredible. We've built 50 churches in these last five years across India. Yeah, give the Lord praise. It, didn't, it doesn't come from me. It comes from him. And we launched a ministry called Cry of India. Why? Because we started to walk into the slums and see the needs and the kids and the uneducated, the lost and the hurting there. And so we started to work on putting together schools and, and ministering to them and using those for churches. And so we, had, we launched a sponsorship program. I had no idea how difficult a sponsorship program would be. I've said to several people, if I knew how difficult it was before I did this, I wouldn't have done it. That's why God doesn't tell you that before you do it. <laughs> but we go into the slums to kids that have no hope, no future. They feel like throwaway kids, and we give them a daily warm meal, security, a uniform, medical checkups, and education, and teach them about Jesus. Our theme verse became Psalm 12:5. It was the heart of God. Into the hovels of the poor into the dark streets where the homeless groan, God speaks. I've had enough. I'm on my way to heal the ache in the heart of the wretched. It doesn't cost much to help a child in India. $30 a month. Or, let me translate it this way for those of us that like Starbucks. That's about six lattes a month. <laughs> six lattes a month will provide that kind of information and need and help for a child. I didn't know when we started this what the impact would be until this year in May, Christianity Today was doing research because there are a number of sponsorship organizations. And let me just say something about that. There could be 10,000 sponsorship organizations because the need is so huge. We're not in competition. If you sponsor a child from another organization, God bless you. God bless you. Let me tell you, in India alone, 250 million children live in the slums without future and hope. But Christianity Today decided to do an investigative reporting and study what the impact was. And in their May issue, this is what they said. I was so moved by this. The most significant thing you can do to change the world is sponsor a child. Why? You change the destiny of a child, you change the destiny of a family, you change the destiny of a nation. And so we entered into this venture, and it has been tremendously rewarding. Let me tell you how God weaves us. See, he weaves us into a story we had no plan on. And then he connects us with a couple in Delhi, Koshi and Joyce. Koshi has a, a, a master's from Oxford University, and Joyce has a doctorate in economics, and they're teaching at the University of Delhi. And one day, reading the scripture, God speaks to them when he, they read Isaiah, who shall go for me? And they said, Lord, here we are. And they left their jobs, and they went to work in the slums. And in the slums of Delhi, they began their work working with these poor children. We brought along a group of women from Pennsylvania, and they helped us build this school right in the slum area of uh, Karagao. Now, Delhi has all kinds of slums. The largest slum in Asia there is, is there, Sangam Vihar. Two million people live in that slum. And there are slums like this all over Delhi. 
And we got into Karagao and we began to work there. We built Joy Academy in Karagao and we now brought in 200 and we have 200 slum children sponsored there. One of these children was a little girl by the name of Karina Ecker. She was sponsored first by Mike and Lisa Wallen from Pennsylvania. And then hard times came to them and they had to give up the sponsorship. And then Don and Janice Shesky, Pastor Darren's parents, picked the sponsorship of Karina. And that was wonderful. And then all of a sudden, on October the 10th of this year, we received word from Delhi that Karina had suddenly died. This little eight-year-old, and that happens so often in this area, they don't know from what, took sick in school and two days later died. And Pastor Koshi wrote me, he said, yet even in the sadness, Karina was the only child of the family, and through her, the whole family was touched by God. Because of Joy Academy, the parents started to attend church. Both mother and father of Karina committed their lives to the Lord and were baptized a few months back. They are now strong in the Lord. Thank you so much for supporting Joy Academy. It's another God story of how the school was used to bring a whole family to the Lord. See how God weaves us? All kinds of us are woven into the fabric of what's happening there. See, I want you to understand God is weaving you into his story. If you don't sponsor a child and would like to, I just so happen. No, we have two tables in the foyer. And we brought a bunch of children with us. We didn't bring them on the plane, a little too expensive, but we brought their pictures. And you can sponsor a child. You can go home with a child and know that you're being a part of a God story. Remember when you respond to a request as the Holy Spirit leads you. Only eternity will show you how he's weaving what you did into impacting lives. But you can never get there without an open heart and a generous spirit. This lady had an open heart and a generous spirit. And because of that, this widow of Zarephath was wonderfully blessed because she didn't consider herself first. You see, let's look at the blessings. The flour and the oil did not run out. It survived. The whole time of the famine, God multiplied and provided for her. Little did she know that because she got woven into the story of Elijah the prophet, that she would need Elijah later. And when her son died, she called for him, and Elijah came and raised him from the dead. And you and I are encouraged because she makes her name into Holy Scripture because her story is recorded there for future generations to understand about the goodness of God through a generous person that responds out of poverty and need. See, God keeps track of your generosity. He'll be a debtor to no one. Proverbs 19, 17 in the Living Translation says, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Let me tell you, God knows how to take care of his own. Cornelius was praying. He wasn't even a, a fully a, a believer, didn't believe in Jesus Christ. He just knew that there was a God, and he was praying. And because of his sincere prayers and sincere heart, the angel visited him and said to him, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Many are blessed by your response. 
Paul writes the entire letter to the Philippians as a thank you letter to say, thank you for your generous giving. I didn't ask for this. And then he puts this wonderful promise, and I know that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You see, an open heart develops a spirit of generosity. Generosity creates blessing. Blessing inspires faith. And faith encourages open hearts. And so the story goes round and round. The more generous you are, the more you inspire others to be generous. And God then blesses his people through their generosity. I was preaching about five years ago in San Antonio, Texas. And pastor asked me, he said, hey, tell about building churches. So I said, you know, it costs $14,000 to build a church. $7,000 we asked the Indians to bring. We match it with 7000 and we build churches. And didn't say much more than that. I left, and about two weeks later, pastor called me. He said, hey, Dave, he said, I have a check on my desk for $14,000 for you. I said, wow. I said, how did it come? He said, well, let me tell you, the story's really significant. He said, the couple is Alex and uh, Danielle de la Garza. He said, he is a sergeant in the San Antonio Police Department. They made an appointment with me, came in, and they slipped this check across the desk and said to me, you know that missionary that was here a couple of weeks ago? We would like to give this to birth some churches in India, a couple of churches in India. And he said, I looked at them and I said, you know, Alex, I know what you do. That's a lot of money. And he said they began to cry. He said, Alex said, what you don't understand, Pastor, is that we've been married for a number of years and we've been unable to have children. And so what we did is we prayed and, and, and we went through in vitro fertilization and nothing happened. And so finally we decided the only thing we could do was adopt. And so we've saved this 14000 for adoption. He said, I was sitting in the service that Sunday morning when God spoke to me and said, you take care of my church. I'll take care of your family. He said, so I got in the car afterwards, and I'm driving back home. Danielle's beside me, and he said, Danielle, you know God spoke to me in that service and said, you know that $14,000 we have saved for adoption? God wants us to give it to birth a church in India. He said, she looked at me and said, God might have spoke to you, but he didn't speak to me. We ain't doing that. <laughs> he said, Danielle, will you pray and pray about it, please? He said, so pastor, she's prayed about it. And that's why we're a couple weeks late. So we want to make sure that it gets to this missionary. So when Pastor Clark sent me the check, I said, send me their address. And I started to write a thank you letter. And I did something I don't think I'd ever done before, but I just felt impressed. I went to my dresser, and I took out a handkerchief, and I anointed it with oil. And I called Nancy, and, I, and we laid our hands on it. And I said, God, these people have done what you've asked. Do for them what they need. And then I put the handkerchief in the letter, and I wrote a couple paragraphs so I didn't like, look like the wacko from Waco, you know. <laughs> and I told him, I said, when you get this handkerchief, place your hands on it and just agree together for the promises of God. For the Bible says children are the heritage of the Lord. Well, I'm glad to tell you it was about 14 months after that that they gave birth naturally to little J.C. De La Garza. I think I have a picture for you.
Now, the story doesn't end there. I'm, I, I'm standing in a parking lot of a restaurant after church after I've interviewed them and took their picture, and Alex grabs me, and he says, you know what, after we gave, we were so blessed. He said, I got moved from sergeant to lieutenant, and now I'm captain in the San Antonio Police Department. But he said, we'd like to ask you to pray for us. I said, what can I pray for you about? He said, we'd like to have another child. And I'm kind of going, <laughs> all right. And he said, this time we'd like to have a boy. And I'm going, what do we have, a menu here? I'm not sure about all of this. And so I, I said, I'll tell you what. Let's join hands together. And so we stood right there and we held hands together. And I said, God, according to the faith of these people, I believe that you desire to reward them for their faithfulness and their desire to serve you. And I pray that you would give them a baby and a baby boy. Well, one year later, they gave birth to a baby boy. So what are you saying? I'm saying that when you have an open heart, generous spirit, you now walk in to be recipients of the blessings of God. My challenge is let's be rich in generosity. Don't be stingy and wither, but put your trust in God. He is the supplier. I see people hoard. You know what? I've never seen a hearse going to the cemetery pulling a U-Haul. There's, no there's no sense in hoarding. God gave it to you to give, to be generous. And he takes care of your life just like he did of the widow of your, with your generosity. So I challenge you today, begin by having an open heart. Father, I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you're working on our lives day by day to change us into the image and the likeness of yourself. And to be that, we have to be generous. And God, I pray that you would bless this congregation as we move into this season of Christmas. May it be a season of giving to the poor, to the needy, through these Love Indie boxes, through their giving to missions in every way. May they give as led by the Lord, and may they give it as unto you. And Father, thank you for what you will do in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.